0: You are listening to the next best picture podcast, and this is our review of The Forgiven.
1: It's 400 miles to asna Long way to go for a party. They said, David, we're lost. That's the time. No, it's not.
0: This is the time. No, David. Don't be so bloody
2: stupid. <laughs>
3: accident stepped out in front of us you don't want the police showing up poking their noses into everything you got into a car with a drunk which makes you an accessory I
1: feel like i've been an accessory
3: for a long time now now listen are you going to mope a weekend or are you going to enjoy yourself it's not a cloud you enjoy yourself you know i suppose i
2: can make the effort
1: Did he mention
0: money? No. He wants you to return with them to bury the boy. It is customary in
1: these parts. People disappear here. They just vanish. will send
0: you. What did you do with his ID? Burial. They didn't just hit him. They ran over him. Maybe more than once.
1: What did they call it in your country? Roadkill. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide.
3: has it occurred to you that he might actually be planning something a lot nastier than anything you can anticipate? forgotten about my husband. Yes, I have. And so have you. Why did you come here?
0: everybody you were just listening to the trailer for the forgiven and the story is as follows the forgiven takes place over a weekend in the high atlas mountains of morocco and explores the reverberations of a random accident on the lives of both the local muslims and western visitors to a house party in a grand villa the film is starring ray fines jessica chastain Caleb landry jones matt smith christopher abbott and ismael cantor It is written and directed by John Michael McDonough. And here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Emma Sasek.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Will Mavity. Do it. Do it. So, John Michael McDonough. Not the McDonough that we usually talk about on this podcast. We typically tend to talk talk about his brother, Martin McDonough. Who has done films such as Three Billboards Outside Ebbing Missouri and Bruce, Seven Psychopaths, and even has another film coming out later on this year with The Banshees of Ivashiran. His brother, John Michael McDonough, is a filmmaker that I'll be honest, I had never seen any of his movies until I actually had met Will, who is a big fan of his 2014 film Calvary. And Will made me, well, I wouldn't say he made me, but he convinced me to give that movie a watch, and I did. And then I saw The Guard, uh, which was another film that he wrote and directed. Um, I've seen War on Everyone, which came out in between this latest film and Calvary. And it's interesting because there are times where I think that he is stronger than his brother, and then there are times where I definitely think that he is weaker. But here with The Forgiven, this is, on paper, I think his most... Exciting project that he's had yet. He's got two very big stars here in Ray Fiennes Jessica Chastain a very intriguing Supporting cast the film premiered at last year's Toronto International Film Festival And then it later on played at the Tribeca Film Festival a few days ago and is now being released by roadside attractions and vertical entertainment in theaters So how do we feel about this one? How does it compare to John Michael McDonough's other films in his filmography that he's written and directed I guess we'll start off with Will Mavity, since I mentioned here in the intro. So, Will, how did The Forgiven live up to your expectations?
3: Uh, It didn't. (laughs) I I, I adore Calvary, and I I think that's a really thoughtful, well-made film. And this one, honestly, when it first started... I was really into it because I think um, one thing that John Michael does better than Martin is that uh, he has more of a an interesting sense of visual style and a rhythm of editing than uh, you see sometimes with Martin. And obviously, that's partially because he works with Larry Smith, you know, a DP who used to work with Kubrick. Uh, but The film had a really interesting setup, I thought, and I was even on board with the fact that literally every character in this is just the worst person in the world. But when it gets into its second half, it just stops dead in its tracks, uh, pacing-wise, and it keeps going back to the storyline with Jessica Chastain and Christopher Abbott that's just utterly uninteresting and really doesn't lead or contribute anything significant to the narrative and so it's just pretty lifeless by the time it limps across the finish line it's well acted i, I did like the dialogue i think mcdonough's always had a knack for writing dialogue and, and it's very well shot it's it's well made it's not a bad film but I think it just pretty much completely squanders the potential of that interesting set- setup, up and uh, doesn't do as much with its interesting cast as it could. And just kind of by the time it reaches its ending, you're kind of like, uh,
0: OK. OK. Wow. So it didn't live up to Will Mavity's expectations. What about you, Emma? Will you forgive the forgiven? <laughs>
1: Well, I won't forgive them for not naming this film Rich White People Going to Rich White People because that is literally <laughs> just what this movie is about. Um very similar to Will um yeah, it just didn't really like it didn't really live up to any any type of expectation I may have had with this film, you know, following seeing the trailer um a few weeks or months back. I really have not seen any of John Michael McDonough's previous work. So this was my introduction to him. And while I did definitely think that this, you know, covered a very interesting, I guess, swath of life, you know, the haves versus the have nots and just the stark contrast in this one incident that happens uh, in these different people's lives and how they uh, interact with it and how they how some of them completely put a sweep it under the rug while the others uh, are very much hurt by it and invested in it just in general like yeah one storyline and in my opinion that's the ray fine storyline that one is full of mystery and suspense you are actually like interested in knowing what's going to happen with him as he makes his journey with um this moroccan family um and then with the other one that involved Jessica Chastain and Christopher Abbott and all. Yeah. It was just kind of like a muddied mess with that one. Like, like I said, rich white people just having the time of their life. Woe is me. I'm so sad for them that they get to enjoy their millions and their gorgeous villa and this and that. Um, but yeah, it just kind of was a, a bit messy for me in some parts, a bit f- uh, forget, forgettable in one story over the other. and yeah not not the best
0: gotcha and what about you josh parm what did you think of the forgiven
1: well walking
2: into this movie i would also say i had some interest in what um mcdonald was going to do because like will i am also a very very big fan of calvary i actually really love that movie it was in my top 10 that year so i'm always intrigued about whatever project he's got coming up and I do agree with most of the sentiments that have already been said. There is a very kind of interesting premise here. And I actually think in that second half where it does sort of drag a bit, I did find myself being much more invested in what Ray Fiennes was doing and where that character was going. I felt like that played to McDonough's strengths as a storyteller, which is not only kind of creating these interesting setups, but also looking at character dynamics in a somewhat less cynical way than his brother does at times and i always find that to be an interesting avenue of of like a character journey and i actually found myself interested in that but it is messy in its construction and yeah we go back to these other characters at this villa that are just not interesting at all and it messes up the momentum and I think, unfortunately, this movie isn't focused enough in its themes to be completely engaging. So it has some good elements in it, but I also find that it falls back on some very flat characterizations at times, and this momentum isn't kept up enough for me to become completely invested in the storytelling. So, like, it's not terrible. I do agree with that sentiment as well. It is a well-made movie, and there's good actors here, but... It doesn't all come together in a completely satisfying way, despite having some aspects in it that I did think had potential to be a really great movie, but a lot of that just went underused. So I think that The
0: Forgiven is half of a good movie, and I think the stronger half lies with Ray Fiennes and the character arc that David undergoes in this film – versus Jessica Chastain's other half as Joe, uh, David's wife, who, you know, Josh, you mentioned before that the film is kind of unfocused in its themes. I'll actually say that I think it's rather focused in its themes. The problem is that the themes are not that interesting in that they are, as Emma said, rich people going to be rich white people. And that's essentially how the movie conducts itself throughout the entire runtime with no other in, uh, introductions to, you know, levels of nuance or exploration of that theme. I think, I, I, I do think it comes a little bit closer with Ray fines and what he's undergoing, because I do think that there is a moral dilemma there that sees that character undergo a very drastic change. Whereas Chastain it's like she starts off as the sympathetic one of the two and Ray Finds is the unsympathetic one. And by the end, they've done a reversal where actually we're against her and more on his side uh, because of the change that he's undergone. And I just found her arc to be so uninteresting that every time I agree with the sentiment that every time we cut back to her, Matt Smith, Christopher Abbott, all of them back at the villa. It killed the momentum and it killed the pacing because at the end of the day, I didn't want to see that movie. That movie was not interesting to me. You know, she's in this marriage with her husband that is clearly unhappy, not great, you know, planning on leaving him, I'm sure. He's a drunk and she's having a good time with friends and you know, exploring, uh, you know, some attraction to Christopher Abbott's character. And to what end? To
2: what end? Yeah, like when I say that the movie is sort of messy, I do agree with you that it's not really messy in terms of its thematic exploration, because that definitely does tie back into David's arc of him being this, narcissistic, rich, white guy and sort of the transformation that he's going through. And so it does comment on that theme as well. But I just found that the messiness came from its construction in the storytelling and that when we go back to the villa with these other characters, it is a distraction from this much more narrowed and focused journey of David, which I don't think is like incredibly nuanced, but it, I think, allows for... A little bit more complexity in terms of how his viewpoint evolves and his relationship to these people in this region that he just kind of completely disregards and it opens up more whereas all the stuff with joe and and the affair that she's having and you know her self-actualization that is what felt very standard very flat and completely uninteresting and i hated every time we cut back to it which is a shame because great actors in in that section but their storylines did not really contribute much more than what was just very obvious and flat from a character perspective.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and I was, you know, I was kind of thinking back on this film and kind of wondering like if that if that party portion, and it kind of already does this in a sense where it it is showing like the exploitation of you know these rich people getting to enjoy truly the riches of this region and just having everything at their footsteps and taking advantage of like camel rides and all uh, versus the the Moroccan uh, people who are working there um, as they're referred to as servants in. And one portion of this um, film, I kind of was wondering if, I don't know, if there was, if there should have been like more pressed into that to kind of show just, I don't even, I'm not really even sure.
0: (laughs) I think the imbalance comes down to the fact that David's story has life and death stakes and Joe's doesn't.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's what creates the imbalance. Mm Mm-hmm. Because with David's, at least we're kept in suspense as to, oh, is he going to get tortured? Is he going to get captured instead of what they initially say is, hey, just come help us bury my son. Um, And it's a custom here for you to do that. And there is a level of intrigue there because you don't exactly know what's going to happen to David when he goes on this journey. Where with Joe, it's like, what's the worst thing that's going to possibly happen to her while she's back at the villa drinking and partying and sleeping with Christopher Abbott?
1: Yeah, the worst she could that could happen is she's not going to get a drink at a time that she wants to get a drink or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, I, Yeah, it would have been nice to have just seen something more, anything more serious discussed in that party portion. Although, yeah, when you are in a stunning villa... In the middle of the desert, there's really nothing bad that could happen to you there.
3: I mean, obviously, that imbalance, I'm sure, is the point. But it doesn't, just because it is intentional, doesn't mean it works.
0: Wait, wait, I'm curious to understand what you mean by the intention part of it. You, you think that he is intentionally creating a dramatic imbalance? Well, to some
3: degree, yes, in the sense that um, Fines is going into a world where things do matter. Uh, and, you know, that's the whole point and, you know, maybe it's the idea that like the viewer of her finds it really, it really hammers some of the contrast, like watching the movie. Also, the stakes don't matter in their cloistered world.
0: No, no, no. I, get, I think I get exactly what it is you're saying in that regard now. Yeah, especially because, too. And I was thinking about this a lot, especially because of what Emma just said a minute ago about like the servants that are there at the villa. It always seemed to me that the servants were on edge and to the breaking point of lashing out or doing something that would introduce some level of dramatic stakes for the guests there. Um, But that never happens. Now, I'm not saying they have to, like, hold them at gunpoint or anything like that. But I'm just saying that, like, some level of tension, uh, I think, needed to be introduced to maybe even hammer the themes there home on her side of the story.
3: Yeah, one thing I did think was interesting was um, I don't remember the name of the the main servant, but I did think it was interesting that it seems like he implies that he not
0: tricked Ray Fines, but... Um, oh, he, oh, he knows that, yeah, like that basically him going off with them is not good for him.
3: <laughs> well, no, but also he made him think he didn't have a choice. You know, he said yeah. he's not asking... And then later, there's that moment where uh, someone's like, "Why, uh, why did he, uh, why did he go?" He's like, "He didn't have to." Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I think the implication is that I
0: think, I think deep down, he wants to see this character pay. He wants to see the people who suffer no consequences and the people who just go through life taking. Uh, from them and from their way of life and their region and everything else that it offers, he wants to see them pay back.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely the the interest with the Ray storyline because, yeah, you do see him go out there. He's in a car with people who, uh, for the most part, at least what it seems to him, he does not speak the same language as them. Um, so there's, you know... not 100% sure how to communicate, although there are characters that do um, speak English and all. Um, And then, yeah, just going out in the middle of the desert, what are you going to find out there? What are you going to see? What's going to happen to you? Um, And there are very much, like, just these stereotypical ideas that he has, like, when he, they're initially talking about him going out with them, he's like, well, I'm gonna, what if they're part of ISIS? What if this happens? What if they're gonna rob me? What, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna do this. They're gonna do that. Like all of these stereotypes immediately come out without even bothering to look at this person in the eyes and and understand the the cruel thing that you did to his son.
0: I mean, that's like the crazy thing about it, right? Is that he literally views them as less than human. Yeah. To him, they're uncivilized.
2: Yeah. It's very, very direct and like yeah. not not subtle in the slightest. Which is why when we get that section of the movie where he's out in the desert, not that it completely abandons that, but I feel like it takes a backseat to just more of a general, like, exploration of atonement and just trying to understand another person at their level. And you do get that level of mystery and intrigue because you don't know how dangerous the situation is. But I still found myself kind of invested in where that storyline was going. And the rest of the movie that surrounds that is just... Very obvious observations of, do you get it? Rich white people are bad and they don't treat the people of this country very well. It's like that was the underlying theme of every single scene that wasn't in that section of the movie. And it just got so tedious after a while. Yeah, we get it. (laughs) Move on.
0: I mean, if this whole movie had been Ray Find's perspective and we never cut back to the villa, not once.
2: Thousand times better.
0: yeah. I think the movie would have been so much stronger. You know, then you just, you know, then the only thing you do is you don't cast a star like Jessica Chastain in the role of Joe. You cast a a B a B-level actor of some sort, you know, someone that maybe that still has a recognizable name but not as recognizable so that this way don't we feel like they're not being wasted with the role. Um, I think then if it was just a character-centric journey for this one character I think then there would have been a lot to explore but you know that's the that is the biggest failure of the movie overall i do think that ray Fiennes gives a really good performance though in this especially josh as you mentioned in that second half where it is exploring uh the topic in a more nuanced manner and i think also <laughs> believe it or not for a movie starring ray fines jessica chastain matt smith Caleb uh, Landry Jones, Christopher Abbott, Abby Lee, like all these names, the name in this movie and the performer, I think, that steals the whole thing is Ismael uh, Kenetar as the father of this slain boy.
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. agree. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. That scene between the two of them where they're talking about the fossil and what he imagined for his son, like that is by far the best scene in this movie. And oh, definitely it really gets at what I think is more interesting at play, which is you kind of don't know where this father figure is, like, coming from at first. Like, you don't know what his true intentions are with the Ray Fiennes character, and you're constantly guessing as to where this is heading, and you get to this very cathartic scene that just lays it all out, and it's not what you would expect. And and yet it's still, like, he has so much... Of this, like sadness within him, but he imagined this different life for his son that then obviously went this different direction. So he still has this anger with him, but he's also sympathetic. Like it's such a dynamic character, and that scene really emphasizes that and gets to more interesting and nuanced ideas that the rest of the movie just never touches.
1: Yeah, and even though Ray finds his character, obviously doesn't think that. These people are worthy of his time because they're not the type of people that he socializes with. That scene in particular really shows that, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what language people may speak, no matter where they may come from, like they are grieving. They want the best for their children. They just want their children to live happy and fulfilling lives. And I think it seems like it clicks for him finally in that moment. Like, you know, I. I really don't need to be such an asshole for every little thing in my life and to every single person.
0: So much so that you think that, like, he's going to give his marriage a second chance then when he returns back. Uh, You know, he might, he might, I'm not saying he will, he might start to curtail his drinking a little bit
2: more. Yes. Yeah, which I did actually like that moment when he got back and he just downed the whole beer. Oh, yeah. I, I did actually like that because <laughs> it, in any other movie, it would be just like, oh, no, I'm not going to drink. And like that would be the, the revelation that he has completely changed. But no, he still went back to drinking. And it shows you that he did go through this journey, but he's not perfect. And I, I liked that element to that character. But again, it just shows you that, everything revolving around David is much more interesting than anything that the movie has to say about any of its other characters.
0: I completely agree. And not to mention, too, there were so many times where it would cut back to the villa and the dialogue that, you know, Matt Smith was having or uh, Caleb Landry Jones was having. Any of them were having with each other where I swear to God, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie where characters were talking so much about nothing.
3: Yeah. Oh, Like the scene where they're like talking about, oh yes, we like everything to be our fault. You know, with like the uh, the Iraq War. Con- yeah, that whole scene. I, I
0: gotta be honest so. with you, Will. I don't
2: remember a single thing that they talked about. <laughs> was it, it was the same sure. thing over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same conversation basically throughout that entire time and where they basically said the same thing and the theme was the same without anything that was more interesting going on. Yeah. Tune in to hear from some of the all time great authors Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey.
3: even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. see you soon
0: yeah and i really wish i could say that i liked chastain's performance or matt smith's performance or anyone in, the, in those scenes anyone because they're all great actors, and they've all delivered really great performances that I've enjoyed in the past. Now, I don't think anyone's actively bad in this, but I don't think that they're aided by good writing. And as a, even if you're a great actor, there's only so much you can do when you have subpar writing. And I think like the thing that's missing, I'll, I'll say this again, is I think those scenes just lack conflict. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> Conflict creates drama and those scenes have no drama.
1: I wish there was someone in that group, kind of getting back to a little bit more of what I was trying to articulate in the beginning uh, when we were talking about the scene. I kind of wish that there was anybody in that group who even voiced like any type of concern for anything that anybody was doing. In particular, with sending out Ray Fines out there, like nobody cared that he was gone like for them they were like oh he's he's good, as good as dead at this point like i wish that there was just somebody who was like what are we doing why are we not concerned about the well-being of this man why are we not concerned about this family who lost somebody like there was no one person who could even remotely serve as the voice of reason or even just hint at any type of concern and even that would have been a little bit more interesting just to see Some little like, you know, shake up happening in their usual meaningless conversations or I don't know, somebody like really being disgusted with the idea of themselves and their friends, like really just lavishing in these riches and exploiting uh, the Moroccan landscape and uh, just like taking advantage of their wealth versus the staff members who are just doing this for who knows how little pay. And obviously the surrounding people in that region, um, like there was just nothing that even remotely would have been like a redeeming person in this or somebody to just say, huh, this isn't right. We really shouldn't be doing this.
0: I actually think that the movie believes where John Michael McDonald believes that that actually is Joe at first.
1: I kind of, I mean, she is the only one who, like you, you mentioned, you know, shows a little bit of remorse and then immediately once like it's the next day, she's just being so rude to uh, anybody who is trying to like hand her something or like, you know, she'll make the comment like, hmm, you forgot the honey. Hmm. Guess it doesn't matter. And like, then you start to see her true colors come through.
0: Exactly. It's like as soon as like she realizes that she's free from the shackles of her marriage, mm-hmm. it's almost like this freedom is bestowed upon her to be whoever she wants to be, and that person is just as ugly as the husband that's introduced in Act 1 that we see as being ugly right up front. So it, like that's what I mean early when I said like I feel that the movie starts off where our sympathies are with Joe in the very beginning, and then it switches by the end.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting how so many other guests at this dinner, they're like, why did you have to invite David and Joe? They're awful. We don't like that. I'm like, you guys are not any better. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to break it to you, but all of you are awful human beings.
2: Which is the point, I think, of the story. But the problem is just that everybody occupies the same register of awfulness. And by the time we get this this transformation of the Chastain character into like everybody else at that villa it's like okay I get that was the point and that's what you were trying to say but it's just not interesting it's so like a basic kind of character arc that you could create for this character with very little nuance there and I I was just so bored by it and as you said, Matt, we know Jessica Chastain, great actress, has given wonderful performances. But the writing here is just not good for her at all. And it's not good for anybody in those sections of the film.
0: So my question now becomes this. How did you all feel about the ending of the movie?
2: Oh, God, I hated it. <laughs> I guess right I up didn't. front, I hated it.
1: <laughs> I, didn't, I guess I didn't particularly mind the you know, call back to a moment earlier. Um, But at that point, I was like, I'm exhausted. Just slam the laptop shut at that point. We're done.
0: (laughs) You know, for me, it was like, I, I knew that it had to happen because, you know, Chekhov's gun.
2: Yeah, they telegraphed it so explicitly. Like, of course it was going to happen. But
0: what I was hoping for personally is I was hoping that it wasn't going to go the obvious route that it did. I was hoping that there would be not saying, listen, I know that the gun has to go off, but I was hoping for something just a little slightly different that would subvert my actual expectations because what we saw play out was as you said, Josh, so telegraphed And we all saw it coming. And I think John Michael McDonough is smarter than that. This almost seemed like, I'm sorry to say, it, screenwriting 101 in school where this is kind of basic.
1: I also wish that it didn't go off at the individual that it did go off at. I kind of wish that the other person in that scene.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that I think he's, uh, I really think he thinks he's getting at something deeper here and there's a lot going on, obviously tying into the themes of forgiveness, atonement, and the moral quandaries uh, that these characters are facing within their lives. But going back to you know, I think something that we've all echoed here: these are all very interesting ideas on paper, but the execution is so uninteresting. Yeah, you know,
3: it reminded me of like American History X. There, right? Where it's I, I get what they're trying to say. Like just because you had a personal Transformation doesn't mean that it wipes away the harms you did to the world. Right. But uh, again, yeah, I I think that that was not sufficiently explored. And, uh, you know, I guess if they hadn't telegraphed it, maybe I'd be sitting here saying like, oh, it was just like cheap shock value. But yeah, I mean, the fact that they gave us like 45 minutes to just expect that exactly what was going to happen to happen was just like. And, you know, you talk about you need conflict in every scene, but to make it interesting, I completely agree, but that level of telegraphed, okay, when's it going to happen, just was almost as boring as all of the conflict-less
0: scenes. I think that if they had just done something different, now, you still have the confrontation, you still have the gun, but a different outcome. Yeah. Any outcome other than what they did, because what they did, it was like, Well, that was a very underwhelming payoff. Mm -hmm. And if they had just done anything else, literally anything, I think that it would have provided for a much more interesting conversation as to the film's themes. And instead, uh, there there are so many movies nowadays uh, commenting on social class, the wealthy, the upper 1%, rich white people, as we've been saying here before, that... You know, at a certain point, I do think that filmmakers need to start exploring uh, this topic in a different manner. Otherwise, if you just keep going the conventional route with it all, you end up with a movie such as this where there's nothing really interesting to say anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think another thing that could have helped is they literally just could have cut one line of a character saying to another character, will you do what needs to be done when the time arises? Like, because that to me is what really just underlines, okay, well, we know what's about to happen. Like, if you literally just get rid of that line and don't set up that expectation so explicitly, I think even the ending works slightly better. It doesn't, I still would have issues with it. Like, I always have issues with movies that just end with one character shooting another then like, cut to black. I, I kind of feel like it's a cheap ending to begin with, but I think it at least would have worked a little better within the context of the story that as Will was saying, you know, you may have gone through your journey, but that doesn't mean it's better for other people. And if we didn't have that explicit expectation set up within the text, I think it would have gone with it a, a little bit more, but because he says that I was like, Oh, well, obviously then this is what the ending is going to be. And you're hoping for yep. something different and it doesn't happen. And you're just felt, you just feel so deflated at the end. Cause it's like all this buildup for a limp ending that and literally just ends because the credits are at the beginning of the film. So it's it's the end and it's literally the end of the movie. Uh,
0: That was everything too, (laughs) I So when I saw this movie, I actually arrived a few minutes late. So I saw the scene where they hit the boy. That was like when I first walked in.
2: Oh, Okay. (laughs)
0: So, the end of the movie comes and it, you know, like you said, it just ends. And I was so confused. And I actually had to hit up uh, Dan Baer, who had seen the movie at Tiff a year ago. And I was like, there were no end credits. I don't know why there weren't any end credits. And, you know, he told me, no, 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 no. they do them all in the beginning. And I was like, oh, okay. Well,
2: yeah, it's like, are we watching a Gaspar Noe film? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I do think, though, that John Michael McDonough thought that by doing that, making that decision about the credits, he probably would have thought that, I don't know, that the ending would have had more impact.
1: Mic drop that he's trying to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't,
0: I don't know.
2: I think that's basically it, yeah.
0: It it, it landed flat.
1: Yeah,
2: I hated it.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, well, I guess we're up to uh, final thoughts here. So uh, any final thoughts on the Forgiven, anything that we didn't mention or something you want to reiterate? Uh, Will Mavity.
3: Yeah, I liked uh, Lauren Balp's score. I thought, um, you know, at times, especially its overarching theme with the strings was pretty impactful. Like I said, I thought it's very well shot.
0: Yes, I agree. There's,
3: there's a lot of good technical craftsmanship going on here uh, in service of very little. But I thought—and also some of the transitions during the party sequences were kind of fun using that annoying one— party goer as like almost a jump scare transition. I thought was pretty funny. Um So I thought things like that were well constructed. I just wish they were in service of something better. And yeah, what you said earlier, the actor played the father. Fantastic. Thought his performance is incredibly nuanced, incredibly moving. As Josh said, their one-on-one conversation, which I think conversations like that, especially when you look at like Calvary or something that John Michael does well, and I think he needs to realize where
0: his strengths are with moments like that going forward. Completely agreed. Yeah, I mean, that is the moment where I realized, OK, this is the same guy that made Calvary I and the guard. I completely agree with you on that. But <sighs> there is something to be said for the fact that he is working with a more expansive scope in this movie bigger cast of well-known actors as opposed to, like, two or one leading the film. And then uh, I do think there is a production uh, quality upgrade here in terms of just, you know, the cinematography. It looks really, really good. It flows eh, as well as it could in terms of the editing. Uh, But at the end of the day, I just feel like it's often not when the story doesn't land as well as it should, unfortunately. But it does make me excited for the future, though. I do think that he has a, a great film in him somewhere uh, with this kind of production value with a cast such as this. It just unfortunately wasn't this one. Uh, Emma, what about you?
1: Caleb Landry and Jones. That photo shoot. <laughs> I would like to know more about anything that is going on <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> in general, a person who I would even remotely consider having a conversation with because i feel like he's a firecracker in this and you literally do not know what is about to set him off you don't know not he's going he's got up his sleeves next i mean just that photo shoot scene in general was cinematic history in the making um i guess in general i mean just to reiterate yeah it's a shame to see like such a talented and stacked group of actors in this film um, to not really be able to express uh, their craft and their talent in the fullest potential. Um, I do think, though, that Ray Fines definitely is giving a fabulous performance. His section of the film is the most interesting and has the more most uh, interesting elements to look at and you know themes to discuss. Everyone else is just kind of you know enjoying a a pool party and uh, a party with drinks. So there's not a whole lot that they get to do there. And yeah, it's just a shame. I just would have enjoyed seeing Jessica or Christopher or Matt just do anything even more remotely interesting rather than just kind of throw themselves at each other and love how rich they are. So that was, that was a bit of a bummer.
0: Okay. Josh Parham. What about you?
1: I think
2: the only other thing that I want to briefly mention is that there is this, like, British Lord character who shows up in the movie. Oh, yeah. And he's not in it very long, but he's played by Alex <laughs> Jennings. And I just love that guy. He's, like, becoming one of my favorite British character <laughs> actors. And whenever he yeah. shows up, I just think he has such a great presence to him. And, again, like, that character, there's nothing there, and he's only existing to, once again, explain rich white people are bad, y'all. But... I, he just has such a fun energy to him. And even in this very brief moment where he's not asked to do very much, I still like what he brought to that role. So Alex Jennings, I, I really like him as a character actor. He's always fun when he shows up in anything.
0: Uh, and I don't have any final thoughts. uh said so to say I pretty much got it all out uh, in our initial discussion here. So in terms of a grade out of 10, I went back and forth on this between two grades and – Overall, I'm giving this like a really extremely weak 6 out of 10. I think I come across probably more mixed or negative in our discussion here. But I was so riveted by the Ray Fine section of this movie that it just barely pushed it into recommendation territory for me. uh, Because I really do think that there is a lot of really great stuff going on there between him and Ismael Kanatera. And just the moral uh, character arc that that journey goes, uh, that that character uh, goes on, like that journey is just so fascinating to me. So, like I, like I, five or five six, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say six, screw it. But I, I also think another reason too that I'm still a little positive is that even though those scenes with those other actors amounted to absolutely nothing. I was still somewhat captivated because of the people involved. And there's something to be said for the fact that I don't think I was ever actually bored watching this. I was instead deflated when it was all over because of what it ultimately added up to. But the actual experience of watching it, I think if you like these actors. You know, it might be enough to get you through some of those more meandering scenes. Maybe. I I don't really know. But Will, what about you?
3: Yeah, you pretty much just stole the words out of my mouth, including the soft six. Completely echo all of that.
0: Emma, how about yourself?
1: I'm giving this a five. I think it's just kind of like in the middle for me. I don't really Mm -hmm. care for it either way.
0: (laughs) And Josh, does Christopher Abbott bump this
2: up a point for you or... (laughs) I mean, that was appreciative just to look at him, I will say. But uh, I am going to land at a 5 out of 10. I am sort of where you are, Matt, in terms of my feeling towards it, where those sections with Ray Fiennes and that storyline, I was really interested in it, but... I do think that cutting away from it did take away a lot from the momentum and how much I hated the way this movie ended, I think, pushes me back into the five territories. So there's interesting things here. It's not completely terrible, but it doesn't quite push it into like for me recommending the whole thing, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Dan Baer when he saw this at TIFF. Um, I was so jealous that he was seeing this at TIFF because this was one of the movies that we couldn't watch remotely. You had to be there in person in order to see it. And I had such high expectations because, you know, just seeing John Michael McDonough kind of rise up over the last couple of years. And especially, you know, considering how much we all love Calvary, I think that a lot of us on paper, we saw the concept for this. We saw the cast and we all thought, okay, this is going to be the movie that takes him to the next level. So when the reaction came out that it was mixed, it was disappointing to hear that because I do think that he just has so much goodwill uh, from his other previous films. Like, Emma, I got to tell you, like, highly recommend Calvary.
1: I mean, everybody on the podcast has talked and praised it, so I will definitely put it on the watch list.
0: Yeah, I think if you do watch it, you'll immediately feel the same way we do, where it's like, we're going to be rooting, like, we're rooting for John Michael McDonough to do well, because you can see that there's potential there, and you can see that there's real talent there, And all it's going to take is the right project to come around to put him up there with this level of success that his brother has achieved.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say that this film is an absolute mess and like terrible worst thing that could ever be done. It's not. We've obviously said saying praises about it. Um, It's just, yeah, it wasn't just the right project or at least it wasn't tackled in the way that it it could have been for it to really be solid. So I, I do definitely see potential with him.
0: Yeah, I think that Martin just has a tendency sometimes for, like, the humor of his movies to be pretty outlandish and unbelievable at times. There's It's still entertaining, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think John My- Michael McDonough is the more subtle of the two, even though he does also deploy a lot of dark humor in his movies. I just think that he's maybe the more, just in terms of taste the kind of storyteller that I'm sure Josh probably is more appealed to. Will, I know you've responded to his work a lot. And I think, like, I too am starting to get to a point where I'm like, you know what, I think I am starting to prefer John. Uh, But it's it's just unfortunate that this movie just didn't land, because I think if it did, we would be having a much more interesting conversation over which McDonough brother we prefer over the two, you know?
2: Yeah, and we should also say that this is based on a book which – I don't believe his any of his other movies are based off of previous material. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe some of these issues are inherent in the actual source material as well. That's a good point, so yeah. There, there might be something to that too, but even still, in the adaptation process, this is what we get. And there are still these deficiencies within the storytelling, even though, as we have said, there are these glimpses into the really great character work that... Um, that John Michael McDonough is able to do is just unfortunate. None of that really as a whole comes together in a satisfying way. And I'll say it. No Oscar potential for this nope, movie. No, no, nope. This will probably be very quickly forgotten.
0: <laughs> they should have called this movie The Forgotten.
2: <laughs> well, that would uh-huh. have been two on nose.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening to our review of The Forgiven here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. Emma Sassic, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet.
1: Don't forget about me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I am on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasick and Letterbox at Emma Sassik.
0: You just got me like thinking, don't you yeah,
2: that's forget about
1: me.
0: <laughs> well Mavity, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Josh Parm.
2: You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, But you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us.